Life Audio. I need to get used to just existing because there's a God who is happy that I exist. And I'm just going to not have to earn that or do anything that merits that. I just am. God loves it. Here I am. I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. And after a quick word from our sponsors, James Brian Smith and I will be back to talk about how embracing our true identity as children of God leads us away from anxiety and toward rest. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. James Brian Smith is the author of the Good and Beautiful series, which includes The Good and Beautiful God, The Good and Beautiful Life, The Good and Beautiful Community, and now his new book, The Good and Beautiful You, Discovering the Person Jesus Created You to Be. He's a theology professor at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, where he also serves as the director of the Apprentice Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. He's also an ordained minister with the United Methodist Church and has served in various capacities in his local churches. And he also hosts the Things Above podcast, which is excellent. And I encourage you all to check it out. Well, James, it is really nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making some space to be with us today. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. This podcast series that we are in is about exchanging anxiety for peace and rest. And of course, we're doing that through scripture meditation and also just conversations about how we can embrace the rest that God has invited us to and has created us for. And I think that really there's no better way than to start with understanding and accepting who we've been created to be, which is what your book is all about. (laughs) So I really want to start there. Originally, you felt like the Good and Beautiful series was complete with the three books you had previously written. So tell us why you felt like this was a needed addition to the series. Well, great question. One of the things that um, I discovered uh, as I was developing what became the first three books was just how important our narratives are. Um, We live at the mercy of our ideas. And 
our ideas run our lives. They can ruin our lives. So as we think about things, so goes our life, as James Allen said. So um, that became very clear for me. And something that in spiritual formation isn't talked about a great deal. Uh, mm-hmm. But Dallas Willard talked a lot about that in in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. And he, though he didn't say, hey, I'm doing narrative work right here, uh, he was. Mm-hmm. He was talking about the, uh, the God-bathed world that Jesus revealed to us, uh, the good and beautiful God that Jesus revealed in his life and ministry and words and actions. And so um, that's kind of what I picked up on. But as I was doing a lot of the work, um, one of the things that was consistent is that people have really bad self-narratives, not just bad narratives about God, but about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine, uh, he lives in England. He's a pastor in England. He had used the other books in ministry, and he's the first person who said to me specifically, I think you're missing a book, which is a bold thing to tell an author. You know, that you're, missing, <laughs> you're missing a book in your in your trilogy. And so... <laughs> Uh, I said, okay, Joe, I'm, I'll bite what? And he said, well, I think it would have to do with, with our, our self-narrative. So mm-hmm. something like the good and beautiful you. And I knew when he said it, that he was right and that I would need to work on that. But I wasn't at a place right then that, um, that I was ready to to work on it and write it. So it took some time, but eventually it became clear. This is the right time. This is the right subject. This is it. And now I, I can't imagine the series without it. Yeah, well, I think it's a great addition to the series. Having uh, enjoyed all of them, I was thrilled to see this one come out. So I I do think your friend had good counsel for you. So I'm glad you <laughs> needed his advice. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, good confirmation. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I really love about your series is that you end each chapter with this soul training practice. And the first one you do in this particular book is called Holy Leisure. And I'd love for you to explain why you thought that was an important place to start in understanding who we are in light of God. And also explain to us what Holy Leisure is. Yeah, it's a it's a big topic. Well, you know, in The Good and Beautiful God, the very first soul training exercise is sleep. And that was intentional because I learned, and of course, I'm preaching to the choir now, talking to you and, and your listeners just how important rest is and that um, when I was field testing the books, I I learned from, I took a hundred people through this field testing process and I learned, wow, people are really exhausted. People are um, in a way that we haven't really experienced in, in many, I mean, maybe ever historically. And so uh, that became really clear. So sleep was with that, but with, so let me start with holy leisure. So, Holy leisure I define as doing nothing for God's sake. You have to be careful how, how you say that because you've said do nothing for God's sake. <laughs> it sounds different. So you just say do nothing, pause for God's sake. And so, um, yeah, the idea is that you are, you're doing um, nothing that would accomplish something. So that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb with holy. Like it, because people say, can I journal during holy leisure? Can I read the Bible? Can I pray? Well, you can, but are you accomplishing something? Because the idea is to just be, mm-hmm. just mm. to exist. And the reason I put that with the first chapter of this book is, um, what I'm trying to say is you have this magnificent soul and this magnificent life that you have been, and you didn't do anything. You did nothing to 
make your existence happen. It just did because of God. So um, in that sense, then, the first practice is to say, look, I didn't make the world. I didn't make myself. I'm not running the universe. I need to get used to just existing Mm -hmm. because there's a God who is happy that I exist. And I'm just going to not have to earn that or do anything that merits that I just am. God loves it. Here I am. So, but it's a very hard practice, Jody. The thing is, <laughs> and I remember, I remember the first time I, I was learning to practice it, I actually was visiting with Dallas Willard and he told me, he said, I think it's the most difficult of all the spiritual disciplines. And I remember pushing back saying, well, that's kind of crazy because it's super easy. Like you're literally doing nothing. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, but that's very hard for many of us because we are so trained to not only, I mean, do things, but multitask or omnitask. I learned that interesting, <laughs> horrible phrase that I'm doing everything at once. So the idea yeah. of doing nothing oh. and and boy, he was right. Cause when I started doing this with groups of people, I, I would sometimes have other practices like read five chapters of the Bible or pray for 30 minutes or go serve in a soup kitchen. And people would go, yep, did it, did it, did it. I said, how did Holy Leisure go? And they'd go, yeah, it was really hard. Like I <laughs> I thought, wait, that that's the one you couldn't do? And I remember telling Dallas, and he goes, of course they couldn't. It's really hard, Jim. I told you. So Yeah. Well, it, like you said, it just goes against everything that the world has set up for us and all the things that we've been trained in our lives. I mean, that's how the world functions. When we do something, we get something in return. And so to do nothing makes us feel so vulnerable. Right. And, you know, and it's so hard. I love that word you just brought up, omnitasking, because now we we just, we don't even know how to be still. Um, You know, we don't know how... I don't know how to be still anymore. That is the hardest practice for me. Silence, solitude, holy leisure, doing nothing for the sake of being in the presence of God. It, it's just like fighting for me to do it. Yeah. And I know I need to do it because yeah. I have to reset my soul. Well, I mean, think about what's the narrative that drives the narrative is I am what I do mm-hmm. or um, my values determined by my accomplishments. So we have these narratives that are built in that, and since we all need to feel valued and loved and accepted and desired and all, these are built into the soul. So if I have that narrative that I did, my value and worth and significance is all determined by my doing and accomplishing, mm-hmm. of course, we're going to have trouble. So in a sense, we have to die to that narrative, which is what I wanted to do with the book is to say, look, you have these longings. They were built into your soul. You can't fulfill any of them, but God in Christ has fulfilled all of them. And so holy leisure is like the the poster child discipline of the whole book in a sense. Yeah, yeah, it is. I just made that up, by the way, poster child discipline. Never said that in my life. I think you should. So I don't know. We should capture should, it. should coin it. We should patent it. <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> well, friends, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And then James and I will be back and we are going to talk about changing false narratives into true ones, and how that leads to deep rest for our souls. Okay, I want to continue on the road of this narratives, because that's the other thing that you do throughout the book, is you expose false narratives that many of us think 
or or the world throws at us. And what you do is you then kind of juxtapose that with what is really true. One of the false narratives I wanted to talk about is the false narrative that you're an accident. And I would love for you to unpack that a little bit with us because we meditated on Psalm 139 in the meditation podcast. And that really just goes right against the grain of this false narrative that you're an accident. So unpack that a little bit for us. And what is the truth in that? And what does God want us to know about that? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's the dominant secular narrative of our age. And and um, so if you think uh, of the human person in, in what we've learned in the secular view, and by that, by the secular, I mean a non-spiritual dimension. So you look at the human person and say, well, what are they? Well, they're the, a carbon-based life form that accidentally got here and um, it will exist for a time and then it will be no more. And so if you are talking to someone in an academic setting, and I, I teach at a university, I teach at a Christian university, so not the case where I am, but at most universities, you will view the human person as an accidental little lump of a bunch of cells. And they just got here. Um, mom and dad got together, maybe mom and dad, but two humans. And here you are. And it just happened. And so, uh, we think I, I, I'm, I'm, I got here accidentally. I'm here for no real reason. And then I'll be gone. And everything within our soul recoils at that. Like that, that it's, mm. And in fact, think about someone who learns, for example, and I have some stories in the book, someone who learns, wow, you really weren't wanted even like you weren't, you were an Mm -hmm. unplanned pregnancy or someone who was adopted. And now they've, they've got to deal with the narrative of there were two people, my biological parents, if you will, they weren't really parents, but they, they didn't want me. And so thankfully someone did, I was adopted, but, um, that's a hard thing for people to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have friends who have adopted kids. I have people I've known in my life who were themselves adopted. And that's something to work through is this idea. So um, it's a it's a deep fear, I think, that we have that am I here? Am I just an accident? Or mm-hmm. what and you asked, I think, Jody, you said, what's the what's the biblical narrative? Well, I think it comes straight from one from Psalm 139 that you were you were foreknown that you were foreloved, that God knew you and loved you before you existed. God knit you together in your mother's womb. God knew every aspect of who you were. You came into your existence in a particular time and place and culture and body and family. And all of those things, it's not an accident. Every every mm-hmm. part of it. And we learn in Colossians that Jesus uh, not only brought everything into being, but holds everything together. So, Jesus knows, Jesus knows your nose. I like to say that he, he's holding your nose on your face. Like everything about you is known by God, intended by God. And that is when you discover that your soul is strangely warmed. You you go, Oh, mm-hmm. ah, even people who were adopted or learned. I tell the story of a woman named Dawn in the book who she learned that her mother, um, didn't want her like her entire pregnancy, her mother, as she carried her, had this, this deep antipathy toward the whole thing. She did not want to have a child. And she told her mother told her that as her mother was dying, like in the hospital, 
but it it explained a lot for her because she had the deep kind mm-hmm. of sense that of being unwanted, unwelcome, and it was a shadow she carried her whole life. But when she discovered, and she had a powerful epiphany when she was doing the dishes and she looked out her window at, the, at a blade of grass, and God said, see that blade of grass? I made that blade of grass. I intended it to be, and that is exactly what it is mm-hmm. in your life. And that was life-changing for her. Yeah, I think the thing that keeps coming to mind, you said the soul is strangely warmed, and I love that imagery. What I was thinking is the soul just takes a deep breath and sighs and Mm. rest, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's one of the things that when we think we're an accident or when we're not really sure where we fit in or that we're wanted, we really expend a lot of energy, a lot of anxious energy trying to figure that out, trying to fit in and trying to make it right in our own strength and power. And it's not until we really embrace and accept the fact that Jesus God, the triune God created us, knew us before the foundations of the world. That is how much we are beloved and wanted. And and, and so as you're saying that, I just felt like this, like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's where that's where we can find that deep soul level rest in knowing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no getting around it. I mean, you don't get the choice to say, well, I don't need that. No, everyone, everyone wants to be wanted. Everyone desires to be desired. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you even point that out in the book and you say, this is not a narcissistic tendency that we have. It is actually a God-given, we we need to know that we are wanted. And and that feeling of being wanted um, is actually a deep comfort to our souls because that's been hardwired into us. Yeah. And it's not narcissism. I mean, I, I try to point that out a lot. This, some people think, well, that's narcissistic or, you know, you shouldn't want that. You should be selfless. And, and also, no, it's built in. Like it's, it's built into, and you see it in a little child when they're, when, when they're first seeing the, a loving parent smiling into an infant's face. And then the, the child smiles back. And there's that sense like someone there is happy that I exist. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's not there. I mean, narcissism is real, but it's a different thing. Right. Like that's a different thing. This is, this is not unhealthy. It's yeah. unavoidable. Mm-hmm. I like to say, mm-hmm. and, and not a sin to, to want to be wanted, to love, to be loved, to desire, to be desired. Yeah. I mean, it's just there. And, and again, we find it in mm-hmm. Christ mm-hmm. in the things of this world. Well, pretty precarious. I'm probably not going to find it. Even in the best of parents, they're humans. So, um, as you said, it's in the triune God. That is that is my circle of sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is yeah, I find that in in the Trinity. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you talk about in your book is actually one of the favorite topics of mine, and that's this concept of the finality of the cross and understanding, really understanding how, what forgiveness is and that we are not under this kind of slavery to the law anymore, but that we have been offered freedom. And you walk through this beautiful story in your book, which I resonated with on so many levels. And I would love for you to just take a few minutes to talk about that and unpack it for us. Because I think when we're talking about, you know, understanding who we are, understanding who God has made us to be, 
And with that understanding, actually finding this deep soul level rest that we are longing for, it comes from this concept, or maybe this is the base of it. Yeah. So unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think people have a narrative that God has to be really mean and mad to run the world and um, that we, and that God's best tool is guilt and shame. And so uh, the idea that God would have forgiven me or you or all, you know, all of us, all of our sins for all time seems like a crazy notion. Like how could God possibly run this universe if he wasn't using guilt and shame? And so a lot of people have that narrative that, I did a bad thing. I I ought to feel really bad. I need to do something to get the God who's mad at me not mad at me anymore. And so we're constantly trying to do that. And um, it's it's very difficult and painful. And in my own journey, that was the narrative that I had: is that um, every every sin, even the smallest, even a sin of omission, like boy, I just I failed to do that little right thing right there. Um, I was very scrupulous and I could be filled with guilt and shame. And so when I discovered the finality of the cross, this idea that God in Christ has forgiven all people for all sins, for all time, well, that was incredibly freeing. And uh, I thought, well, that's too good to be true. That can't, but it's, it's, it's biblical, right? That when, when um, John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't temporarily cover it, but he takes it away. And then in Hebrews, you have so many verses in Hebrews that he died once for all, once for all. That phrase occurs, I think, eight or nine times just in that epistle. And that's consistent with Paul, too, the idea that that uh, God in Christ had reconciled the world to himself. And it's incredibly freeing. And uh, I'm uh, one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, but I love the second verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I mean, that's the kind of good news that makes you write a hymn. That's that's how beautiful the finality of the cross is. Now, people will come back and say, well, but wait a minute. That does not give you a license to sin. Now I can just sin, sin, sin. Well, Paul was raised with, the, he had that question right at the end of Romans 5, should we sin so that grace will abound? And then he says in Romans 6, one, by no means. And his answer is not that God's going to get mad at you and you've got to have more sins to get. No, he says, do you not know who you are? Romans 6, that's the question of Romans 6. Do you know your identity? You're a person who has died and risen with Christ. You're a whole new creation. Sin doesn't actually fit with you. It, it it doesn't make any sense for you. It's not what you run on anymore as a person indwelt by Christ. And so, um, you know, and some people say, you're just giving people a license to sin. I've heard that for 30 years since I've been teaching on it. And I always come back and say, well, how are you doing without your license? Like, is that working? Is that, is guilt and shame working? Because it didn't work for me. Right. I didn't sin any less when I felt real bad about it. And and it's not that I, I still, I feel bad about sin. In fact, I confess more now than I did before I understood the finality of the cross. It's just mm-hmm. my confession's different. I don't say, hey God, I did that bad thing. Would you forgive me? I say, God, I did that bad thing. I know you've forgiven me in Christ. I know you love me. Let's talk about why. They're like, mm-hmm. why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Why did I? Yeah, that's so good. I I know that a lot of people push back because of First John 1, 9. That's the big mm-hmm. verse that people just 
want to, but it says that if we confess our sins, then he will forgive us. Yeah. And you even address this in the book, which I was grateful to see. So talk a little bit about how, how, how do we look at that first then? Well, the first thing to point out is that is the only verse. It's the only verse where the idea of get of of confessing your sin to get it forgiven, because that really isn't a Jewish concept. The idea of getting your sins forgiven through confession that just I mean that it was a sacrificial system that they were aware of. So the main thing though is to say that First John one nine makes sense only if you understand First John one eight, mm-hmm. and First John one eight says. If we uh, say that we have no sin, uh, we are deceived and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's that saying? Well, there were people, uh, we think they were like the Gnostics. There were people who said, well, I don't sin. Like, I don't have sin in my life anymore. I've I've spiritually evolved. And so what John was saying, no, you can't say that. You you can't say you have no sin. You have sin. Obviously you do. But then one nine says, if we confess our sin, that we have sin, that we are sinners, then what? God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, like everything, not just those sins you confessed. So the context actually of First John 1, 8, 1, and 1, 9 actually, I think, confirms mm-hmm. the, the finality of the cross in terms of not denies it. But you're right. People, they've heard that verse so many times. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. So that's how people assume it. But think about it logically. Think about an arrangement where the only way your sins would be forgiven is if you confessed every single one. All right. Who wants that arrangement? I mean, I, I, I mean, I couldn't survive. I mean, I, I, and you can't do the blanket. Oh, and God forgive everything else I forgot to confess. Like you know, <laughs> you can't just do the blanket thing. But imagine if that if you really got forgiven mm-hmm. by your confession, we'd all be buried underneath it. And that's just the sins of commission, but the sins of omission, like what I failed to do, what I should have done. Oh, my. So that's why I think Horatio you know, Spafford wrote in It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. What a glorious thought. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, mm-hmm. everything. He's nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Yeah, and I've always thought, too, I think in, in the grace of God, he doesn't actually show me the extent of my sin. I am not aware mm. of the depth of my sin because I think it would be crushing. <laughs> and yes. he, you know, and as we go along, I feel like the Lord's like, okay, now we're going to work on this. <laughs> and and something gets revealed. And so if we had to confess all of our sin, well, not only would that be crushing because we'd have, we'd, we'd, be burdened with doing something just perfectly so we would be, you know, right with God, but we would also be burdened with the knowledge of just how how much there is to confess and how far we are from really all that God has for us. And that's not a condemning thing. It's really, um, I think it's the grace and love of God that He accepts He accepts us mm-hmm. as we are right now, and He uses these broken vessels to do his work here on earth. He could do it in other ways. And I I think that's mercy and grace and kindness and absolutely preach it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just it's it it doesn't make any sense. And it does go back to the character of God. Um that when people think that God and boy, what what 38% of American Christians think God is mad at them. Yeah. Uh, based on the Baylor poll. I mean, so 
yeah, it's it goes back to our, our narrative of God. But if you have a God who really loves us, um, what would that God want to do? And I'm just grateful that God is not, uh, my relationship is not contingent on dealing with my sins, that I've got to get that worked out. He did it. Mm-hmm. He did it really well on the cross once for all. And now I just say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Amen. And what a glorious thing. And now I want to respond to that, that love mm-hmm. with a life that is holy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The whole motivation changes and the removal of guilt and the implanting of love in its place is just life changing. Uh, it has been for me. Mm. And I know it's been for you too, because yes. I got to read about it. So, and you just told us. <laughs> um, well, uh, James, I would love to know, do you have any last thoughts or encouragement for us as we continue our dis- journey of discovering the person Jesus has created us to be and resting into that? Well, I just hope whoever's listening right now would just know that you are a divinely designed, lavishly loved, fully forgiven, sacred story of grace. And uh, God knew you before you existed and uh, longs to be with you today. And for all time. And God is better than our best thoughts. And, um, you know, that's, that's my hope and prayer. And not only that they would know that, but that they would see that in everybody that they meet, that they would just see someone on the street and think that is a divinely designed, lavishly loved, fully forgiven, sacred story of grace and see that in everybody. If we could do that, oh my goodness, the world the world's waiting for us Christians just to start doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's an amazing last word and encouragement. Thank you for that. And thank you again for just making space to be with us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Jody. Well, friends, I have great news for you. InterVarsity Press is going to give us 30% off and free shipping off of James' new book. And so there is a link in the show notes. The code is much more. And um, I do hope you'll get your hands on it. And if you haven't read any of the series, I would encourage you to read the entire series. It truly is excellent. I also want to take a quick second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership. And if you go to lifeaudio.com, you're going to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They have shows about prayer and Bible study, parenting, and even this one on scripture meditation. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me on so much more because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.